Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. The reading today is from John 10, 22 to 30. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. This is Revelation 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated in the throne, and to the Lamb, And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell to their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night with his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of the life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Our Swedenborg reading from this morning, for this morning, comes from True Christianity, section 340. Two things have to come together before we can be said to be living a good life, 
and believing the right things. In the church, these two things are called our inner self and our outer self. When our inner self has good intentions and our outer self has good actions, then the two unite. Our outer self acts from our inner self, and our inner self acts through our outer self. We act from God, and God acts through us. On the other hand, if our inner self has evil intentions, but our outer self still has good actions, nonetheless, both are acting from hell. Our intentions come from hell, and our actions are hypocritical. Our hellish intentions are inside every hypocritical thing we do, like a snake inside a plant or a grub inside a flower. If people know not only that we have an inner and an outer self, but also what they are, and that the two can work together either actually or seemingly, and also that our inner self lives on after death, but our outer self is buried. They have access to an abundance of secrets about heaven and the world. People who unite these two in themselves for a good purpose become happy forever. But people who divide them, or worse yet, if they unite them for an evil purpose, are unhappy forever. Here endeth the reading. You know, the Bible, the Bible at certain times has some funny things that happen in it. And I can't help but, this, this reading from the book of Revelation, for me, is one of those funny moments. John, the author, asks, or is present, when one of these people asks the question, who are these people? And John's response is, well, you know who these people are. Why don't you tell me? And then the person goes on to tell them. It makes you ask the question, why did they ask in the first place? But this is actually not that unusual. I mean, his response was that these are people who have been washed in the robes of the blood of the lamb. And he knew in the first place. But this is not that weird, right, to... To have a moment where a person asks a question that they already know the answer to. I'm guessing, and I don't mean this in a sense of, uh, like, when you're in school, the teacher asks a question, of course, the teacher knows the answer, because they're trying to elicit a response and see you grow. I'm talking about, in your life, this happens all the time. I can't help it, you know, in my my history of working with people who, who kept coming to work late, and they'd say things like, I don't know why I'm always getting to work late. And my response is kind of, sure you do, you leave late. Like, how, how many times do you have to figure out it takes 20 minutes for you to get to work, and you're always 10 minutes late if I leave 10 minutes earlier, depending on bus schedules? Again, I'm not talking about being late once. I'm talking about chronically late. All the time, we ask questions about maybe why is my life difficult? But the answer is usually pretty simple. Each of us can look back 
and see the choices that lead to where we are now, I'm assuming. Most of us have a history where we are able to remember that we did certain things and those certain things led to this moment. And if we altered our course of action, something different could have happened in this moment. What we do matters. Each of us can probably remember at least one person who reach out, reached out to us and gave us a bit of advice. Now, maybe for some, they, they took the advice, and that advice led them to become the person they are today. Or maybe it's a person who gave you advice and you ignored it. And you look back and like, boy, if I would have followed that person's advice way back when. I remember there was a minister once who was telling people out in his congregation that if they could invest uh, $4,000 uh, in their kids' names when they were 10 years old, that the kid would die a millionaire. But you see, we don't, we don't like that. Right? We don't like 60 years passing in order to get results, right? We want our results now. We want what we want, when we want it. And we oftentimes ignore good advice because it's not convenient in the moment. But we look back and think to ourselves, man, if I would have just done my homework, or if I would have just done this, or if I would have just done that, maybe everything is different. We have this question that we ask ourselves all the time. Now, maybe some people out there can, can sit there and say, well, I, I did ask myself that question, and I listened. And that's why I am where I am today. This is the interesting thing. Our reading from the gospel, Jesus is standing in a portico at the temple, which I just think the symbolism of that is amazing. Jesus is standing at the door in the temple when he is asked the question, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And he said, I told you and you don't believe. The works I do testify to who I am. It's not like Jesus was standing in the casino, you know? He was standing in the temple. These are people who are supposed to be godly people. Jesus was saying to the people who are the religious people who go to temple, you don't know because you don't understand what it means to be a person of God. And he simply said, I have told you. All you have to do is look at the things that are happening. Much in the same way, each of us can look back and say, well, gosh, why is my life the way it is now? And we can look back and realize that the things that we have done, the things that we have embraced, have made us who we are. For some people, early difficulty would lead to transformation, maybe Maybe they're not struggling in the same way that other people are. But most likely, because this is my rule, right? If you think you've made it, you probably haven't. Right? If you're not struggling to become a better person, you're missing something. Because no matter how good you are, you can always be better. Jesus was talking to the people who were considered the holy of society. 
and they couldn't see who he was. Jesus is telling them that showing up at the temple is not enough. Showing up to offer sacrifices is not enough. Jesus is telling them living a heaven-bound life is essential. Now, I want to make it clear at this. Oftentimes, people can use this as a way of saying, you know, that Jewish people are bad because they just go to the temple. They just... Jesus was a Jewish person. Jesus was offering a teaching that was prevalent at the time. He is not going against what Jewish culture said. It is not enough, it has never been enough, to just simply offer confession for the bad things we do. It is not good enough for a Christian to simply at the end of the week say, God, forgive me for all the stuff I messed up. I'm going to go and do that stuff again, go to church next Sunday, and ask for forgiveness again. It's not good enough. As Swedenborg talks about, your inside and your outside are not matching. You become a hypocrite. And that causes chaos within you. It causes things that make you upset and unhappy. You can't ask for forgiveness if you don't change. The Lord says that his sheep understand his voice and follow him. In other words, they hear what it means to be loving and they act in a loving way. They don't hear what it means to be loving, then do whatever they want and then come back and say, well, we heard you say that you were loving. They internalize it. They change what they're doing. They hear the message and begin living in a different way. I don't know if you've looked around yourself recently. We're in the temple, the church, the religious place. We're in the place where people who come to worship God gather. This message is particularly important to us because it's saying, and please don't get me wrong, I love it when people come to church, coming to church isn't enough. Living a loving, good life as a result of coming to church is what we're supposed to be doing. Church is a place that inspires us to live and love the people around us throughout the week. If your internal is not loving, if your internal is not looking to God, and you are sitting here, Anybody ever watch Charlie Brown, the teachers of Charlie Brown in the cartoons? It's just this, this utterance. Yeah. And you might hear the words, but if you're not internalizing them, if you don't want to hear them, if you don't want to be loving, they will be disregarded. So I have a pop quiz for you. You don't need to write it down. You don't even need to answer. But I like giving tests every once in a while. What is your most favorite passage or lesson from Scripture? Do you have one? Okay, give you a second to think about it. Okay. Now here's my next question. What do you dream of doing? You as a person, what are your dreams? 
What do you want to be? And again, you can be, you can be toward the end of your life and still have a dream of doing something. Now here's my question, so think about that. What do you dream of doing? And I'm going to bring those together. How does what you dream of doing match up with your favorite Bible verse? How are you inspired by your favorite part of, of the book that is the cornerstone of your faith? How are you inspired to have what you dream of doing and what you dream of being match what your favorite part of Scripture is? It's a litmus test, maybe. Asking yourself, is what I want to do in this world matching what I'm feeling in my internal world? Just a little test. Swedenborg understands that people are made up of two aspects, a will and an understanding. And this sounds very academic, but it's really very simple. You are what you love, but you are also what you have learned. When what you have learned and what you have loved come together, that is what you do. What your deep-seated heart's desire is, and what you have learned, unite to make the you that everybody around you experiences. It makes what you think and what you love real. The inner self is a part of us that, that really leads what we do. It's a quiet part of ourselves that not everybody can see. It defines who we are. And let, let's give an example. We witness a person doing something good. And I'm going to use a, a classic scenario of, of somebody helping a disabled person across the street. That's a good action, right? That disabled person's happy. I got help across the street. They were jaywalking, so there was no handicapped accessible sidewalk or something like that. I don't know. So we look at that person and say, wow, that person's a good person. They helped someone across the road and they didn't need it. Now what if I told you that person was going to get a million dollars because there was a donor who said, if you help the next person across the street, I'll give you a million dollars. While it's a good action, if that person would not have done it without getting a million dollars, would that person get the benefit of the good action? Certainly get the money. But does it make it a good action? It's a good action for the person who received help. Don't get me wrong. The things we do on the outside world, the things that come in between you and I, can be complicated, can have mixed motives. It doesn't change when we experience something good about whether or not we experience that goodness, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the people who are doing what we perceive are good are actually good. Most of us know this when we think about politics, but I don't want to get political. Most of us can identify, insert party X or person Y, and this person's only doing said behaviors for political reasons. We all know this sort of stuff happens. But we like to really label other people with it, and we don't look at our own inner desires and why it is we act, and whether or not our hope, our vision, and our dream are really matching what we're doing. The outer self, the outer self goes away when we die, and all we are really left with is what we have cultivated in this life. Now this, 
I'm talking on a spiritual level, but I'm, I want to talk about it on, on less of a spiritual level. I'm going to talk about it on a very worldly level. I'm assuming that, well, probably less than 10% of the people here know who Nehemiah is. But I'm going to assume at least 80% of the people in here know who Warren Buffett is. Right? Warren Buffett. You know who he is because he's rich. Nehemiah supposedly rebuilt Jerusalem and, and you know, saved the people of Israel and purified the town. We don't, we don't think about him. We think about Warren Buffett because he is rich. And we all say, man, he must love being rich. And I'm sure he's not unhappy being rich. But do you know what he loves? He loves business. He loves the stock market. He does not think about, when he wakes up, how am I going to buy the biggest car, the dream home, what's my next trip? He wakes up thinking about markets, thinking about businesses, and thinking about performance. He invests the whole of himself into what he does. He does not care about the car that he drives. He does not care about where he lives. The reason he got to where he is is because he loves what he is doing. He loves solving the puzzles of business. The same thing kind of was true when I was listening to an interview with Steve Ballmore, a longtime Microsoft executive, when he described Bill Gates' passion. And by the way, he was willing to be complimentary of Bill Gates' passion, even though he and Bill Gates are no longer talking. Right? He was willing to acknowledge that Bill Gates had this vision of a PC on every desk in every home. He understood the power of what computers were going to bring about. And Bill Gates was relentless, day in, day out, pushing his staff. Probably, I have some friends who work for Microsoft, and they were pushed in ways they didn't like it. I'm not using either of these people as examples of what it means to be a great human. What I'm using them as examples for is that when you love something and it transforms your focus, you do what it is that you love. On Mother's Day, there's no better example than a dedicated mother whose heart and mind becomes transformed on their newborn baby. And that heart and mind, every minute of the day, is transfixed on what it means to be a mother. And as that child grows, the mother grows and doesn't just walk away and say, oh, I had enough. Their dreams of them are of them. They, they, they transform their life in a way to nurture them in the appropriate way. The mother that's willing to nurture their child so their child's willing to leave home in a healthy way. When we take on a role and it matches what our desire is and what we do on the outside, we feel fulfilled. We become who it is we were created to be. Angela Duckworth, in a book called Grit, looks at successful people and tries to figure out what's, what's the key notion of success that makes someone successful. She did this, not, by the way, not because she wanted to be a consultant to presidents, business, military, and all these people who she's now a consultant for. She did this because she was a school teacher and wanted to know why some kids were succeeding in class and some were failing. She did it because she loved her students. 
And what she found was this concept of grit. The person who just refuses to give up, who sacrifices what is fun in the moment for what is going to give them success in the next day, what we could call grit. The person who has deliberate practice and never gives up is ultimately what makes a successful person. How do you do that in your spiritual life? What's your favorite Bible story and what do you do? Are the two matching? Swedenborg, by the way, does not say that that being a good person means that you are doing something, well, like being a minister or doing something that is specifically religious. Swedenborg says that all things around us are tools. Money is a tool to make the world a better place. Computers can be a tool to make the world a better place. Research is a tool that can make the world a better place. The desire to love the person sitting next to you, the desire to make the world a better place, the desire to care, these are the inherent qualities that can be behind anything we want to do. And if we are unrelenting in our desire to love, It will come out every pore of our being in everything that we do. It will come out whether we are washing dishes or researching medical cures. You are standing in a portico with God who is asking you to follow. What is your response? Is your response to continue questioning what it means to be loving and good? Let's say your two things don't match. Your favorite Bible story and what you do. Let's say they don't match. Somebody says, well, how can I become a better person? All I can say is don't underestimate the power of imagination. Imagine what it means to connect those two. Don't necessarily go out and make plans today to transform the world. Just every time you eat or when you wake up and go to bed, Imagine what it means to love the world with what it is you have to do. Eventually, the more time you spend imagining, the more that imagination will consume you and inspire you and make you the person that God created you to be. If you have a smartphone, set an alarm. Every three hours, have it ring. Muslim, the Muslim practice of praying five times a day. Five times a day person's reminded to look to God. What would it mean if you intentionally looked to what God created you today to do each day? Or don't. Keep doing what you're doing. If you're not happy, keep doing what you're doing. Guess what's not going to change? If you want to be happy, You need to match your inside and your outside. Find your inner quality of love and goodness and have it come through in what you do. Then you will hear the voice of the Lord. Then you will follow it. And you will be with God in heaven eternally. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. 
If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.